Well, good morning, Redeemer family. Uh, This morning, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus 27. Leviticus 27. And we're continuing our series in the book of Leviticus called Elementary. We're coming near to the end. Levi, how many weeks are left? Two? One more week. Yeah. Yeah. I've so enjoyed this series, I'll I'll tell you. It's been such a pleasure to to dig deep into Leviticus. And uh, so this morning, I'm excited to do that again with you today. And we're going to be learning about what the law teaches us about giving. Now, the topic of giving can start a tense conversation in the people of God. Because if we're honest with ourselves, our money and possessions have a way of fighting against our devotion to God, do they not? We love our toys, we love our possessions, and most of the time it's hard to part with them. So the Apostle Paul, he warned, he saw the same thing, so he warned young Timothy. He said these words, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful Desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. We love our our money. We love our possessions. We love our toys. And this conflict is not new. And it's not just for affluent North Americans. No. It was true for the people of God 2,000 years ago in Paul's day, and it was true for Israel as they were about to enter the promised land. I mean, here you had these slaves. Remember, Moses is talking to men and women who've been in slavery for 400 years. 400 years, and now they're on the verge of entering the promised land. They're not going to be farming for Pharaoh anymore. They're going to be farming for themselves. And here they are. So God knew that, you know what, I've got to get my people standing on this elemental block. He had to train them that they would know right from the beginning that all that they had, every single thing that they had, was from God and Him alone. Their land, their possessions, even their health, all of it was given to them by their Heavenly Father. In Deuteronomy, I love these verses, God put it to His people very bluntly. Here He is being a firm Father. He he says this in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. That that was an elementary lesson for the people of God, and it is for us today. It's just as foundational. All that we own, all that we own, is really God's. It's all His, and it's from Him. And the Christian's attitude, even today, needs to be rooted in this fact. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, we love taking responsibility for our hard work ethic. Don't we love that? Right? Love saying, I'm a hard worker. I go get up at 5 a.m. every day. I slug, provide for my family. Well, God reminds His people here that even your hardworking attitude, your farming skills, your carpentry skills, All of that, all of that is because God has made you and fashioned you to have those skills. Remember that. That's where giving needs to start, friends. That's where giving needs to start. If we forget this, then we're going to think that that God is somehow filling up his coffers with our gifts, but that's not the case. Everything we own is from God. And Christian, God knows what's best for you. He loves you. 
And he knows that if you remember this, if you root yourself in this fact, that you're going to be a grateful and generous giver. Remember, it's all from him anyways. That's what God desired for his people Israel as they were about to enter the promised land. And that's what he desires for you and I this morning in, in little Aurelia, Ontario, that we would be grateful and generous people, remembering that our treasures are not found on this earth, but they're found in heaven. Amen? Amen. So this morning, we're going to dive into the, to see what the law teaches us about giving. So with these things in mind, look with me now to Leviticus 27, verses 26 to 30. Hear now from the holy and all-necessary, inspired, all-sufficient word of the Lord. But a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate. Whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted, who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind, shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as is obvious, most of you didn't bring in your crops and your animals. You didn't tow them in a trailer behind your vehicles when you came here. But Israel, that's what they did when they came to worship God. Because they were living in an agrarian society. So their wealth was measured by their crops, their animals, their land. Now, the medium has changed as societies have changed, but the principles are the exact same. So this morning, we're going to begin in chapter 27. But since we're dealing with a very broad topic... We're going to draw from various passages in Leviticus to answer the question, what does the law teach us about giving? The first thing that we see is that the law teaches us that giving is God's idea. Giving is God's idea. Just as Levi reminded us last week that God had built worship into Israel's calendar, so here we're reminded that God built giving into Israel's calendar. It was part of their routine. It was meant to be in their DNA. And in these verses we just read, it's almost as though God set up a direct deposit system. Speaking of giving, eh? It's almost as though God set up a direct deposit system to give him what he required in his timing. Look with me to Leviticus 27, verses 26 to 27, and again in verse 30. But a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate, whether ox or sheep. It is the Lord's. And then in verse 30, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. That's God speaking to his people. See, giving back to the Lord was an essential part of being an Israelite, and it was to be routine. You were to return to God what he was rightfully claiming for himself. So they were to tithe by year, uh, year by year, and every third year. And just to clarify for some of you, maybe you don't know, tithe was simply 10% of what they had brought in. God demanded that. So they gave of their their produce, flocks, and herds because giving was meant to be, again, part of the DNA of the people of God. It was essential 
And in doing this, God not only was teaching his people a lesson, but he was actually providing a way for the Levites to fulfill all their priestly duties. Right? This is actually where all the animals came from so that they could perform the daily sacrifices. So, begs the question I'm sure many of you are already thinking about, are we as believers called to follow the Israelite tithe? How many people were thinking that, thinking that question? Fine, don't put up your hands. <laughs> well, once again, here we need to remind ourselves that the law was a tutor. It was the kindergarten class. It was a shadow of the things to come. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3.24, so then, the law was our guardian until, until Christ came. And Christ has come. So no, we are not called to follow the Israelite tithe, but, but, that's a big but here, we need to see the lesson behind Israel's tithing, and that is that giving is essential because giving is actually God's idea. Wasn't Moses' idea? Remember, Levi talked about that last week. It wasn't Moses and the elders of Israel who said, hmm, let's build our calendar this way. No, God did that. And here it's the same thing. God knew that his people needed to be a giving people. And for us on this side of the cross, if we know where our blessings come from, and if we are called to worship him with every aspect of our lives, then of course, of course worship is going to be part of, or giving is going to be part of our worship. And if the Israelites were bringing their first fruits in worship, then so too should we. And if they were bringing their first and their best and their brightest as a sign of gratitude and expectation, then so too should we. Out of obligation? No. Out of law? No. But in joy and in worship, in gratitude. That's why we give. You know, I would add here too that, and this is one thing that I've loved. I've absolutely loved studying Leviticus because I've been reminded time and time again that all of these boundaries that God has set up for his people. All these laws, you know, we, we look at them in 2021 and we are prone to say those are restrictive. Those are restrictive and those are bad because we don't like laws. We don't like boundaries. We want autonomy. But even here, as God built this tithing system, he was actually putting up good boundaries for them. He was saying, if you continue on this way, you're actually going to flourish. Because if not, if we were left to our own devices, we would put off giving and we'd make wonderfully awful excuses for doing so. And it would lead to us hoarding, lusting, and making gods of every earthly possession that we have. Some of us have experienced that. We idolize our possessions and all it's led to is insecurity and sadness. That's why God built giving into his people's lives because he knew that they needed to keep this first and priority. He was teaching them, protecting them, and reorienting his people. Giving is God's idea. Some of you this morning need to be reminded of that. It's not the pastor's. No, it's God's idea. Giving is a good thing. It's helpful for you. It reorients you. It trains you. That's the first thing the law teaches us. But secondly, the law teaches us that giving is proportionate. Giving is proportionate. Look with me to Leviticus 5, 7, and 5, verse 11. I'll give you a minute to find those verses. In Leviticus 5, 7, God says this, But if he, that is the worshiper, cannot afford a lamb, 
and he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a, a burnt offering. And if you skip down a few verses to verse 11, it says this, but if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah, a fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. Giving was essential to God's people, but God knows our limitations. And he foresaw that there would be some in Israel that would be blessed with plenty, and they could give of the most costliest of animals for sacrifices. But he also saw that there would be some who would be poor, and he made accommodation for that. You see, the rich were expected to give of their riches, but the poor were supposed to give out of their poverty. Giving was meant to be proportionate to what the giver had. We also learn here that, that our giving was meant to be premeditated and responsible. That's key. Premeditated and responsible. There's going to be moments in our lives where there's spontaneous generosity, where we are moved by the Lord and we want to give more than our routine givings, and that's, we're going to talk more about that later. But here we see that even in those moments, we need to be responsible and thoughtful. Because for many of us, God has entrusted to us to provide for our families. He's called us to put food on the table for little ones and roofs over their heads. That means that God would not have you offer, uh, today's October or August, September's month, September's rent payment, today, here at church, if you know that you won't be able to make that money up. That would not be responsible. That's why Paul counseled the Corinthian church this way. In 1 Corinthians 16, he said this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Hear this. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. You see here, Paul wonderfully weaves these two first lessons into one cohesive unit. He says, each of you must set aside something. Right? That's the giving is essential. But he reminds them to be thoughtful. He says, plan ahead. You know what's coming up. You know what bills you've got to pay. You know that your car isn't running well. So be premeditated, be thoughtful in this, be responsible. And remember that you are to give to God in relation to what he's given to you, not what he's given to your neighbor. Giving is meant to be proportionate to what we've been giving. I think this is such a wonderful, just a wonderful text where we see just God's loving heart, his graciousness for his people. You see, here he reminds us that he was just as happy with the, the, the worshiper bringing an offering of flour as he was with the the worshiper bringing a lamb. Isn't that good news that our God cares? He knows our frame. He knows our limitations. Giving is proportionate to the giver, but nevertheless, giving is costly. Giving is costly. Look with me now to Leviticus 22, verse 17. Forgive me, I'm having you jump around lots, but eventually it'll stop. Thank you. (laughs) Leviticus 22, verse 17 to 21 say this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering, 
for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord. If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or of the sheep or of the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be, to, be, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. When an Israelite brought an animal to sacrifice, they were to pick their best, their brightest. You know, they weren't to wander around in the sheepfold and look for the injured or the lame look for the weakest one, they were to offer their best. It was meant to illustrate that their great God, the God who had given them everything, that he was worth their best. He was worth a costly gift. King David knew this well. And when he at one time was offered free animals to use as sacrifices, he responded famously this way. He said, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. See, this attitude of David was meant to be present in every Israelite, from the king down to the peasant. Whether rich or poor, whether you were able to offer a bull or a pigeon or flower, everyone was to feel and know this truth. That giving was meant to cost you something. Because God is worth it. His glory was worth the cost of parting with your best. Engagement rings capture this principle really well, don't they? Because engagement rings are expensive. And young men save up for months on end. And then they go and buy this ring that costs probably far too much. But in that moment, they are saying something. They're saying to their bride-to-be, you are worth it. You are everything to me. You are my top priority. And that's what God was trying to illustrate to his people. Giving is meant to be costly. It's, It's meant to be responsible. It's meant to be planned out. It's meant to be proportionate. But nevertheless, you should feel it. You should feel it. You know, when we make our budgets, that which is set aside for kingdom work should be a costly chunk. You should feel it. It's not meant to be an afterthought. It's not meant to be put aside after you've planned out all your fancy vacations or all of your fancy date nights. It's meant to be taken out first. It's the best part that you give God. You know, the Israelites, they saw this tangibly because they literally were bringing crops and animals. They saw that, ooh, that's that's number one right there. That's a good sheep. And we should feel the same thing as we are making our e-transfers to Redeemer. With King David, we ought to say, how can we sacrifice God to God? That which cost me nothing. Just as it was David's attitude, so it should be our attitude. Because fourthly, we learn that giving is a response. Giving is a response. Now I would wager that many of us Assume that the Israelites would give their first fruits, their tithes, their firstborns of the flocks and herds, and then be done with giving. Right? We just assume they hit their threshold and they stopped. But if you read Leviticus 27, 
It's actually presupposing that the Israelites were going to have times where they experienced God's blessing. And in overflowing gratitude, they said, I want to give more. I want to give more to God's work. To go above and beyond what he has required of us. So in Leviticus 27, Moses provided these guidelines for when an Israelite was overflowing with gratitude. And I'm not going to make you turn there. I'll have it on the screen. You've done enough turning here. But in Exodus 36, we catch this amazing glimpse of God's people being overfilled with joy and gratitude. So Moses had encouraged the people. He said, if any of your hearts move you to generosity and you want to provide for the, the, the building of the tabernacle, bring your gifts, bring all the material you can. And what happened is that they gave so much that Moses actually had to command them to stop. He said, you've given enough. We have no more space. Enough's enough. And in Exodus 36, verses 6, it tells us what happened. It says, so Moses gave command and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained. They were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Can you imagine that if Pastor Levi made an announcement next week? He said, no more giving. No more. We're at max capacity here. That would be amazing. Remember, friends, these were Old Testament saints. These were saints that had just witnessed God deliver them from Pharaoh. And what happened in the New Testament is that the early church saw this attitude, and they took it and they ran with it. Not only did they set apart money for their local church, they also gave to their brothers and sisters in need. If, if you look, you don't have to turn there again, forgive me. But in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1, we hear this. Paul says to the Corinthians, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You see, these Christians were already experiencing poverty. But they heard about another church that was experiencing poverty. And what did they do? They say, you know what? We'll wait till next year when we're in a better financial spot. No, they said, we are begging you, Paul. Let us give more. Let us help out our family in Jerusalem. This was the church practicing the elementary truth that the Israelites learned in Leviticus 27. Our giving is supposed to go above and beyond what God has required of us. It should overflow because it is a response to all that God has given us. Is that our attitude towards giving? Are we an overflowing people? Because that is what the law teaches us. That's what the law was teaching the Israelites. And they hadn't even seen Christ yet. So for us, it's a how much more. How much more ought we to overflow in gratitude? We should be eager to give to our local church so that the gospel would be spread in Aurelia and in Canada and beyond. We should be eager to give so that poor pastors in India and South Africa can continue to shepherd their, people, shepherd their people while putting food on the tables. And we should be eager to leave room in our budget so that we can spontaneously give 
Because our giving is meant to overflow. And fifthly, the law teaches us that giving is revealing. Giving is revealing. As Israel would give of their tithes, their firstborn animals, first fruits, and as they gave extra offerings to God, they were actually revealing where their true, ultimate treasures were found. You know, when they decided to give above and beyond the tithe, their first fruits, they were laying their cards out on the table. They were saying, God, here's my heart. Here's my heart. And that is what giving does. That is what giving does. You know, do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when a lot of the grocery stores were offering temporary raises to the frontline workers? You remember that? Whatever the motive was, it demonstrated that, that they cared for their workers, didn't it? It showed us that Walmart cared about their workers, that Zares cared about them. That's what giving does. It reveals where your true treasures are. It reveals what's most important to you. And Jesus taught us the same thing. In Matthew 6, verse 19, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus said, where are you laying your treasures? Are they in your earthly goods? You remember the story? Jesus said there was, there was a there's man who was very successful. He had made so much money. And he said, you know what? I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. And then what happened? The Lord said to him, you fool. Your soul is required of you. This man loved his possessions. He loved his earthly goods. And that's where his ultimate treasure was. We reveal what's most important to us and how we get to God's work. Are you, brothers, sisters, are you stingy in your giving? You give, or forgive me, does your giving stop at the same threshold that it did before you got that big promotion? Or maybe it's the needless toys and the extravagant vacations that dominate your budget. That reveals something. It reveals something. Or maybe there's some of you who you've mastered the sweet spot where you can give lots to God, but you know you never really feel the cost. You never give till it hurts. You know, for some of you parents, um, would, your par- would your kids say that your true treasures are in heaven? Would they look at you and say, Mom and Dad are kingdom-minded? You know, I know every kid wants to, to go to Disney World, and I had to go when I was 27, 28. That was the first time. <laughs> and I know every parent wants to treat their children to that. But I mean, how wonderful would it be if beside the little Disney jar with quarters in it, you had a map. And on that map, there were pins on it. There were pins in India, in South Africa, in the Dominican. And you could point to your children and say, we are supporting gospel proclamation there and there and there imagine that imagine if your kids started telling their friends at school that's what mom and dad care about that would reveal to your children that your hearts are set on a different kingdom than the one that they're living in what we do with our money is the litmus test for where our true treasures are 
And whether we have big budgets or whether we have small budgets, either way, the way that we give reveals what's most important to us. That's a hard word, but a necessary one, because ultimately, ultimately, giving is worship. Giving is worship. In Deuteronomy 26, verses 10, verse 10, we see this wonderful picture. As the Israelite was to bring their tithe of produce, they were to recite this confession. And it ended like this. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. Which you, O Lord, have given me. See, the worshiper remembered God's great salvation at the Red Sea. They remembered how God had marched his people into the promised land. And, that they, and they remembered there, as they gave of their tithe, that every good and perfect gift that they had was ultimately from their heavenly Father. And then a few verses down, it says this, And you, that is you the worshiper, you shall set it down, you set down your offering before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all of the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Again, those are Old Testament saints. Old Testament saints giving, reflecting worship, reflecting joy. Imagine, imagine if we did the same. Imagine if we did the same with our giving. If when we got paid every two weeks, we opened up our phone and we did an email money transfer. And imagine if we actually thanked God for all that he had given us over those past two weeks. Imagine that. Imagine if we did that with our wives, with, with, our, with our whole families. Say, kids, this is how we give to God. This is how we thank him. That would be amazing. And I'm being candid with you here. I know I don't do that. And as I was pouring over Leviticus over the past few weeks, I was convicted of that. Giving can be so mundane. It's such a pattern, it's such a habit. But here the law teaches us that it is to be a time of worship. It's to be a time of joy. It's, a time, it's to be a time of remembering all that God has given us. This would not only transform us, but it would transform our families. It would transform our churches and it would magnify it would magnify our witness if we recaptured that all that we have is ultimately God's and that what is most important is not treasures on earth, but it's in spreading God's fame throughout Aurelia, throughout Canada, and throughout the world. That would shock our neighbors. That would shock our neighbors. That would lead them to say, how can they be so joyful while they're driving that old car? I know that guy can afford more than that. And here they are driving that. And they're giving with joy to their church. They're giving with joy to, to make sure that poor pastors in India can preach the word and provide for their family. That would transform our witness, would it not? Friends, as, as we come to a close this morning, I, I imagine there's, there's a few different types of people here. There's people here who have been blessed with plenty. There's generous people here. And uh, some, of, some of you, I don't want you to feel shame and guilt. Some of you are giving and you're faithfully giving. 
You're doing a great job. And, and then I imagine there's some of you here who know that you've hit that spot where you can kind of just coast. You never give till it hurts. If the Lord is working on your heart right now, I would challenge you, go home today. Book a time this week, whether you're single or whether you're married. And, and take a night this week and really look at your budget and say, Lord, am I giving? Are we giving all that we can? Does our budget say that we care most about that vacation next year? About that vehicle? And I, on the flip side, I imagine that there's many that are here saying, I'm struggling to pay the rent. And I'm, I'm nervous that I might lose my job next month. If that's you, look back to Leviticus 5 and see the God who says you give out of what you've been given. It is to be costly, but remember, I'm asking you to give out of what I've given you. It's proportionate. And friends, we are the people with 100% certainty. We know that everything that we have has been given to us by God. It's all from Him anyways. Whether it's our clothes, our jobs, our food, homes, families, all of it is from Him. And to top it off, more than just mere material goods, what did he do? He gave us his one and only son. He saw us heading full speed, head first, into hell. Into eternal wrath. He saw you suffering in sin and shame. And at a great cost to himself, at great cost to himself, he gave Christ. He sent his one and only son for you and for me. Paul reminded the church this way. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for, for my sake, for our sake, he became poor, so that we by his poverty might become rich. Paul says, first and foremost, when we're talking about giving, we remember what Christ did for us. We look to our Father and we say, look how he sacrificed for us. Look how he gave till it hurt. Look how he loved us. We say that's why we give. That's why we give, because we have been given everything. So give like that. Live like that. And let awe-inspired, heavenly-minded, and worship-filled thoughts fuel your giving to the glory of God, for the good of his people, and to the salvation of the nations. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we are just reminded, Lord, every good and perfect gift, everything that we have is from you. And Father, we want to live like that. We want to live with that truth, guiding us every day as we wake up. Help us to remember this. Help us to live out of this to, so that we would be a grateful, humble, and generous people. And oh God, I ask now that by your Spirit you would continue to preach the sermon that every single one of us needs to hear. Each one of us needs to hear something different, Lord, and I pray that you would do just that for the good of your people and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' mighty name we ask and pray these things. Amen. you stand with us as we respond?